Welcome to CTSI Science Cafe, a community engagement initiative of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. This program was recorded in front of our live community audience at St. Anne Center for Intergenerational Care, Bucyrus Campus in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This April 2019 Science Cafe features a presentation and community conversation focusing on rest is not always best, new research on the treatment of concussion and mild traumatic brain injury. Our guest presenter is Dr. Lindsay Nelson, Assistant Professor of Neurosurgery and Neurology at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Here now is Dr. Lindsay Nelson. Thanks for coming. I know some of you may have come to ask me some questions. I want to flip the script a little bit and start by asking you some questions. So I'll be talking today about concussion and traumatic brain injury more broadly. And by concussion, I mean the most mild type of brain injury. And of course, traumatic brain injury is really a spectrum of injuries from mild to severe. And I'm just starting with concussion because it's by far the most common type of brain injury and it gets the most media attention. There's been a number of studies recently on what people know about concussion. So let's see what you know. True or false, concussion can only happen if there's a direct hit to the head. That is actually false, good. Vast majority of the time, the head does hit something, but you could have like a whiplash type of injury where the head just rapidly moves and that could cause some symptoms of concussion. Number two, to be diagnosed with a concussion, do you have to be knocked unconscious? No. This is actually one of the most common misconceptions, especially historically, about concussion. Many, many people think that you need to lose consciousness to have one, and you do not. In fact, in the community athletics now, maybe around 5% of sport-related concussions involve loss of consciousness. Number three, concussions can lead to emotional problems. Absolutely, concussions can cause changes in your emotional state. Anxiety, depression, irritability, things like that. Number four, after a concussion, brain imaging typically shows physical damage. False. False, very good. Another common misconception. Concussion, at least as we usually describe it, does not involve any visible physical damage on any clinical neuroimaging. So we do often have patients come in and say, I think I got a concussion and I want a brain scan right now. And we usually say, it's not going to show anything. Number five, if an athlete goes back to playing sports right after a concussion, he or she is at higher risk of getting a second concussion. And that is true. And that was something we learned in the early 2000s with a study that was performed on Division I college athletes that back in the day when they used to allow athletes with concussions to go right back, they found that in that first seven to 10 day window after a concussion, they tended to be at higher risk of getting a second injury. And so that's one reason why we now take athletes out of play and put them through a graded return to play protocol that takes about a week to 10 days to complete. The reason behind that? We think that there's something that's called the window of cerebral vulnerability, meaning that after a concussion, the brain is physiologically not normal. There's some chemical things going on that are causing those symptoms, causing it to be, for some reason, more vulnerable to a second impact. And so we find that if we let the brain heal and recover before there's any further impacts, then at that point you're safe and there's no increased risk of concussion from there. So very good, you all did really great. These are actually questions that were amongst the hardest questions in prior research of concussion knowledge, things that many people got wrong. There are a lot of misconceptions about concussion and TBI 
out there. It's something that a lot of people have some experience with and so they tend to think they know, but there's a lot of information also that people tend to not know. So I want to talk to you about what you should know about concussion and TBI. What is it? How do you know if it's mild or more severe? What should you do about it? And what are researchers doing to try to make better treatments? So first, the very basics. What is a traumatic brain injury? Anytime there's a hit to the head or rapid head movement that changes your thinking or what we call alters mental status, there could be a TBI. What do I mean by altered mental status? Well, it could be something as obvious as losing consciousness or being knocked out, but many times it's something a lot more subtle than that. Some people say they don't remember the whole thing that happened. They don't remember getting hit. They don't remember something that happened before or after. Or sometimes there's just a sense that one is confused or disoriented. And that's very common in more of the concussion cases that we see out in the community, very mild injuries. So it can be quite subtle, and that makes it kind of hard to detect. And then there's also typically a number of symptoms people have right after that hit to the head. And that's the next part I'm going to quiz you about. So eight symptoms. Which ones do you think are common symptoms of concussion? Headache, difficulty paying attention, forgetting names or faces of people you know well, light and noise sensitivity, excessive sweating, changes in sleep, seeing and hearing things that are not there, or balance problems. How many of those are common symptoms of concussion? It turns out only five of these are common symptoms of concussion. In particular, many, many people think that it might be common to forget a name or face of someone you know well. That is really not common after a mild traumatic brain injury. What is common is to have headaches, to have attention or concentration problems or mild kind of recent memory problems, to be sensitive to light, sensitive to noise, changes in sleep, problems with balance, and emotional problems as we talked about earlier. There's been some research looking at patients who come to the emergency department who hit their head and they ask them some questions about the diagnostic criteria of a TBI and of the people who appeared to have a concussion, almost nine out of 10 of them did not recognize that they had a concussion. So that just speaks to limitations in general knowledge. It's not common knowledge to know what a TBI and a concussion is. It's something that you have to learn. And many patients who go to a hospital for treatment after a trauma, about half in our emergency department don't ever get a diagnosis of concussion. So that's one thing we are working on uh, is trying to find out how can we get the word out and should we be just diagnosing it more so that we can get people the information that they need to move forward. So that's what a TBI is, but there's all different severities as we talked about, concussion being the mildest of the mild, all the way to very severe brain injuries. What we normally call a mild TBI is in and of itself a pretty wide spectrum. If somebody never loses consciousness or even loses consciousness for up to 30 minutes, we still call it a mild TBI. And that's because research has shown that people who have acute injury signs in that range tend to have very good outcomes. They tend to get better most of the time. Again, there's a whole severity spectrum, and as a clinician, we look at several different signs to decide if it's a mild or moderate or severe, some of which you, know, you need clinical training to do, but you can kind of keep in mind that loss of consciousness criterion. You know, less than 30 minutes is called a mild typically, but there's a lot of range in there, and more than that would be a more severe. And in general, the brain does a pretty good job of healing after a brain injury most of the time. Just like other areas in your body, it's set up to try to get back to its normal state, and it can take time, but in most cases, people get better from a TBI. Of course, the more severe the brain injury, the more likely 
there might be permanent or longer term problems. And in the very mild cases, most people get better more quickly than in the more severe cases. In those cases that you're talking about, will all of the recollection come back? Certain memories can return after a brain injury, in particular the memories that might have been lost before the head impact. So we differentiate between memory loss before the impact and after. So retrograde amnesia or memory loss before the impact, we find that the longer you get from injury, sometimes that window shrinks and you start getting back those memories. Like some people who were injured at dinner time and say, I don't remember anything that day. But then you see them three months later and they'll start to remember bits and pieces of that day up to the point of impact. So that can shrink over time. Memory loss after the impact or what we call post-traumatic amnesia typically does not come back because that occurs for a different reason. It occurs because the brain is not laying down new memories. So if you're not laying down new memories, it's not there to come back. So difference depending on what kind of memory. Does it matter what part of the brain is impacted? Absolutely. So this is something very challenging about studying brain injury. The brain is very complicated. It does many, many things and different parts of the brain can be injured in different ways especially with the more severe brain injuries where there's more clear lesions, um, bruising and things on the brain, that will correlate with what kinds of problems one could have, absolutely. So many people get better from brain injuries, even on the more severe side, those who survive often can achieve a pretty good outcome. That said, many people in the more severe side still have some subtle things wrong or sometimes more significant things wrong. You know, if any of you are worried about symptoms of a brain injury, I definitely would recommend seeing a provider about it. Um, there's a lot of variability in how people get better and what kinds of problems people have. Many different things can happen when the brain isn't working its best. And you might also notice how generic the symptoms of a concussion are, right? None of them are anything special about concussion. Many of these are symptoms that most of us would endure to some degree on a normal day, you know? I felt tired and foggy before I had my third cup of tea, you know? I mean, these are not really unique to TBI or concussion, which is one thing that makes it very hard to study. We're gonna get a little bit into treatment. That's what I wanted to talk about today. There's actually some really exciting, I think, new research coming out that we're working on to try to advance the science of doing treatment with brain injury. Researchers are working very hard on better understanding chemical changes, the physical changes that might happen to the brain so that we can design new treatments. And also we're learning in the last couple years that the way we've been managing concussions in particular has been all wrong. It used to be after a concussion, everyone was told to rest, just rest and take it easy until you feel better. Some people thought that it was important to avoid any stimulation whatsoever. They might sit in a dark room, not look at their phone, not read, not do anything that might activate those symptoms. And that was kind of the standard a few years ago. We're learning now that it's actually harmful to do too much rest, what we call cocoon therapy. It's just not helpful and it might be harmful in excess. So there's been a number of studies, both preclinical studies as well as human studies to support this. And this is what we're trying to leverage and refine right now to make better treatments. So for example, my colleague in our children's hospital emergency department did a randomized study, a very high quality study, where he gave standard discharge instructions to kids who came into the emergency department who got concussions. Standard instructions say, hey, go rest for a couple days and then try to get back to your normal activities. This was at a time when rest was thought to be helpful. Their test treatment was to say, we want you to do five days of strict rest. And the patients who were prescribed strict rest got better more slowly than the ones who just had a brief period of rest and then started getting back to their normal activities more quickly. Do you consider brief to be like 24 to 48 hours? 
exactly. So right now in the current guidelines for athletes and for community patients, we think that about 24 to 48 hours rest is important. But beyond that may not be important for everyone. That said, some people who have a more severe injury may need more time to recover. This is what we don't really know how to refine for every individual patient yet. It's clear that having too much rest is not helpful. I mean, emotionally, it kind of puts you in a bad place, but also physiologically, it doesn't allow the brain to recover its best, whereas getting activity can actually facilitate brain recovery. The clinical studies have shown that also getting some activity seems to be helpful to clinical outcomes. Another recent study prescribed light aerobic exercise. So going beyond just saying get back to your normal activities, they actually prescribed aerobic exercise to mostly adolescents, many of whom were pretty fit before their concussions. But they found that being prescribed that light exercise also seemed to speed up recovery, especially for athletes who are fit more and fit and healthy before. So it might be that more active rehabilitation strategies are more helpful. And that's exciting because that means there might be something we can do and anybody can do with a brain injury. You know, doesn't necessarily require going to a specialist or getting some special expensive treatment. It might just be about refining your activities to really promote recovery. What are the expected ranges for like symptoms lasting with concussions? Does it vary a ton by individual? Recovery time can vary a lot. Uh, youth athletes typically get better mostly within two weeks. There's sort of a little tail there at the end where there's always a few people who take longer. Patients we see who go to hospitals tend to take longer. It's unclear why. It might be partly because patients who end up going to a hospital have perhaps a more severe mild traumatic brain injury that needs more time to recover. They also tend to have more comorbidities health-wise that seem to be predictors of longer recovery. And they often tend to have more other injuries to the body. Many people who come to the hospital setting also have other bodily injuries, which we see exacerbates the concussion symptoms. Because again, concussion symptoms are not specific to concussion. We ask patients to fill out symptom checklists, and even the ones who have no head trauma whatsoever, but some other bodily injury will endorse you know, the symptoms. So it makes it hard to know, how's the brain recovering when it, someone has so many things going on? And also other, other types of injuries, like neck injury from a whiplash kind of event can cause symptoms that look a lot like concussion symptoms. Certain inner ear things that happen when you get into a trauma you know, can cause vestibular issues, which is not the brain, but you know, can be, look like that. So it's a lot of complicating factors. So there are a lot of studies ongoing about this active rehabilitation concept, comparing different clinical management strategies and very simple things people can do at home, mental activity, physical activity, and we're gonna be comparing those to more standard instructions where you don't necessarily encourage any additional activity, for example. I read that there were studies that sometimes women took longer to recover. I've seen very mixed findings about whether there are gender differences in recovery in sport concussion, for example, but some of them did not account for the fact that at pre-injury baseline, women tend to endorse more concussion symptoms, quote unquote. And so if you account for that, the recovery course doesn't always really look different. So it's a little bit unclear to me if and when that's the case. It probably is in certain cases and maybe not as a global thing. Some of the bigger risk factors we think for having a more prolonged recovery would be having similar physical symptoms before your injury. You know, if you're prone to headache and things like that, 
after a trauma, sometimes you get a more prolonged headache and things like that. For some reason, having pre-injury emotional concerns, depression, things like that seem to exacerbate the brain's recovery course. But by and large, when we see a patient with brain injury, the number one predictor of their time to recover is how severe their concussion symptoms were right after the head trauma. You give someone one of these symptom checklists right away, that's a pretty strong predictor of how long they're going to go on to experience. When you say immediate, is that like within an hour, within a day? Yeah, yeah, we've seen pretty good prediction within a day or so. But at any given point, people who have more symptoms are going to have them for longer than people who have less. So that might be a marker of concussion severity, as well as something that pertains to your pre-injury propensity to have those symptoms, which varies a lot you know, amongst individuals. So many providers will ask about things like your migraine or your headache history or things like that to understand if you're someone who might just be sensitive to those kinds of issues. In brain injury in general, there's been over 40 clinical trials to try to test out new medications, like medications that can be delivered in the hospital within a few hours of injury to see if an outcome can be improved from a severe TBI. So that's focus has been on pharmacologic treatments, none of which have been successful to date. And in the concussion space, we're focused more on what's already a pretty good outcome in most cases. How can we improve upon it through things like simple behavioral strategies, exercise, activity, clinical treatments, and providers are also using physical therapies, vision therapies, all kinds of things out there that are being tried to get people back on track after concussions. And of course, in this more severe TBI space, many patients also undergo rehabilitation with a variety of therapists to kind of help retrain them to do things that they need to do. But so far, the drug treatment studies have not been successful. If a high school soccer player incurs a concussion, let him sit out a couple days and then get them back and playing again? Yes, yeah, so based on the data that we have available, we still believe there's a window of brain vulnerability in a week or 10 days. And so it is risky for an athlete to go back into contact sport in that first week. But after a brief period of rest, if an athlete feels better in a day, they may start what we call this graded exertion program, right? And it's very spelled out now from consensus statements what to do. It starts with light aerobic activity, non-contact sport specific drills and et cetera. And it happens to take about a week to get through it typically. So I think that's what we're currently doing seems safe and, and appropriate. The activity once it starts again, is it recommended that that's medically supervised? Somebody that can recognize if somebody's having difficulty going back to those things? You know, if exercise is not something you normally did before a brain injury, we don't know if it's helpful for you to do it after. You know, if someone's embarking on activity that's not normal for them, it might be smarter to get a clinical opinion about it and how to go about doing it. But if you're, you know, months out from a concussion, I think anything is pretty safe. Contact sports is with young people. Is there any protecting against concussions? Does equipment actually really help? I don't know if I'm totally up to speed on the equipment literature, but in general, the reason the brain gets injured from a concussion is because the brain's slashing around in the skull and having a helmet on the outside isn't gonna stop that from happening. If the brain slashes around and gets hit against the skull or rapidly rotates, it's still gonna cause that same kind of concussion injury. Helmets are best for protecting the brain against skull fracture. You know, if you think about motor vehicle crashes or people who come to our hospital after a motorcycle crash, those who were wearing a helmet have a milder brain injury than those who were not. 
but for just the kind of the community athlete, I don't know that helmets do a lot from that standpoint. So talking about using exercise as a form of activity as a form of recovery for kids, what about reading and doing like the more sports? Because you always hear that about kids, like yeah. they're having trouble concentrating still, you know, and how much of it is due to a concussion. I'm not a pediatric provider, so I'm relying on the literature and the recommendations I've read to say this, but you know, the younger the kid, the more problematic it can be to lose like a few days of school and get behind and things like that. And so there's always a priority on returning to school, return to learn before return to play, for example. It's always a priority. I don't think there's any really good data to suggest that it's harmful to engage in any mental activities whatsoever after a concussion. But there is this one correlational study that just looked at what people did and how they got better and how those related. And the people who were in kind of the moderate mental and physical activity group had the best outcome. So I don't know if you have kids, which contact sports would you allow them to play? Yeah, I do have kids and I thought about this a lot. I think right now I wouldn't bar them from doing really any contact sports out of fear for concussion. To date, the high quality studies find that Having a sport-related concussion as an isolated event is not a catastrophic thing. It's something kids get better from very quickly with no long-term implications. You know, as a clinician, you occasionally have a case of someone who seems prone to getting concussions over and over or maybe having slower recoveries than is normal. And then sometimes you think, okay, maybe this is somebody who wants to make a different choice and maybe not play this sport. But that's really not the norm. And so I don't think I would personally keep my kids from trying something unless there were problems that arose. Have you run into issues with trying to get kids back to school when they're, all their homework's on a computer? If someone has light sensitivity, that would be hard to have to do a lot of computer work. Um, and that comes up with adults too who do a lot of computer work. When it comes to that kind of thing, we just try to go gradual. Trying something after a concussion, if it worsens your symptoms, there's no evidence that that's damaging to your recovery. It looks like it's perfectly safe to try something, and if it increases your symptoms, we just say back off and try again the next day, because there's really no evidence that it's harmful. So we have to just recommend giving it a try, doing what you can, and trying to just gradually increase those activities. So there's no real cognitive rest period? I'd say in that first 24 to 48 hours, laying off some things makes sense. So you should back off for a couple days. It's kind of as tolerated trying things. Mm -hmm about screen time, so we're saying just gradually bumping it up. It's hard to give a general on that because of the individual variability and you want to prioritize doing things like school. If they're missing texting with their friends, I'm less concerned about that, you know, and I'm like, okay, take it easy for a couple more days. So I, I think it has to be kind of an individualized approach. At what point would you recommend seeing someone like you? At what point would you say, yeah, I think it's time to do some formal testing? It's a good question. I don't want to just speak for myself. There are a lot of people who speak on this topic and they do not all agree. Some people think you should always see a clinical provider for a concussion no matter what. I don't really think that, I think that's not realistic. Many, many people get concussions and never see a clinical provider and they get better quickly and that's okay. So I think if one has the luxury of giving it a couple weeks, if it's not a big deal to you to take some time off work, I mean, it never hurts to touch base with like a primary care physician or something first who you have fairly easy access to. And they can often make that decision of, is this someone who is showing something atypical or needs to see a specialist or might have something else going on that needs a different treatment? Don't you think that it gets missed a lot though? Yeah, it's difficult. The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, has some really nice materials for providers, for parents, for kids. 
We've tried to disseminate this kind of material. Um, it's difficult to reach some types of practices, primary care practices, for example, concussion. Uh, it's not their major issue. Emergency departments tend to adopt those things a little bit more readily, but there are tools out there that are available for providers. And you're right, the diagnosis gets missed a lot. Whether it matters is an unknown. It gets missed, but if most of those people are getting better on their own, we don't know yet if making the diagnosis, providing more services, improves the outcomes yet. I've heard physicians cringe at the WebMD patient. So you mentioned the CDC. Yep. Are there some others that are? That's the primary. The CDC website is the primary one I recommend. They have a lot of nice materials about concussion and traumatic brain injury more generally. They have something called a Heads Up Initiative, which is focused a lot on sport-related concussion in kids, but that's useful. It's good information. They have current accepted evidence-based materials, so that's really, I think, the best one. I'm sure NIH has something on there, but the CDC is really focused on providing materials that will be used in clinical practice and used by families and patients, so they have nice materials meant for dissemination. Fortunately, the research and the evidence base for treating concussion and TBI is advancing rapidly. Some of these things we're talking about are very new things. Unfortunately, that means it's hard to get the word out. So there are providers out there who know not to prescribe cocoon therapy, and there are many who don't. And so I do think it's a good idea to be informed as an individual, and feel free to ask questions to your provider and see if, you know, if you're clicking and on the same page. I work in an outpatient mild traumatic brain injury clinic. We see patients who are two weeks to six months after a brain injury of any severity, and we occasionally get a patient who said, I'm three months out and I am still not working and trying to sit in the dark all the time, and we say, why? And they sometimes will say, well, it's because my doctor told me to. So it's really hard to disseminate this rapidly changing information to everybody. Has there been any evidence so far showing that any group of people is more prone to concussions than others? Well, in traumatic brain injury in general, men tend to get more traumatic brain injuries probably because they tend to do more high-risk activities. Also, if you do things that are high-risk, like driving under the influence, you're going to be at more risk. And in concussion, there's not a lot of really solid prospective research, but there's a few studies that suggest there are some risk factors. It's possible, for example, that having ADHD or another neurodevelopmental disorder might confer having more risk for injury, including brain injury, for example. So what all services do you provide in the outpatient clinic? At the outpatient mild TBI clinic, it's a multidisciplinary clinic, so patients come and meet with a neuropsychologist like myself and a physiatrist who's a physician who specializes in physical medicine and rehabilitation. They meet together, do a brief interview and assessment and kind of determine what they might need moving forward, making recommendations, getting them other services if needed. So it's sort of a touch point with a specialty team to determine what can be done to help somebody along. And a lot of other providers also interface with brain injury patients. It becomes very much focused on what are the specific problem areas one is having. So folks with headache that won't go away, we have a headache clinic for that in neurology. People with certain vestibular base balance issues might get vestibular therapy. There's specific therapies that become appropriate depending on the specific issues going on. Where do you guys get most of your referrals from? Just from internally? Like Most of our referrals are internal from Freighter Hospital. Patients who get admitted to the trauma service often get a referral, but we also get referrals from the community. Thanks for all the questions. This is pretty fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to CTSI Science Cafe. 
we invite you to join us and be part of our next community conversation. To learn more about CTSI Science Cafe and how you can attend, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Science Cafe is produced by Dr. Oshoya Garrison, co-produced by Brian Belmer. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Doriel Ward and Dr. Reza Shakir.